Hello and welcome to the Royal Lonsford Bill Club for a special podcast, slightly shorter, because um, we are here at the Seagrave Room on Pall Mall, which is a convenient room for today's guest because we have uh, Sam Sunderland, who's the 2017 Dakar winner, and today is being awarded the Seagrave Trophy. And also joining me is Matt Malksley, um, and this is the first, I believe, for the Seagrave Trophy because you have a coat, you have a jacket. Just for you. Yeah, that's right. Um, super happy to be here and grateful for, for the club and uh, some recognition back in the, the homeland, you know. And yeah, just got measured up for a jacket, so it's all exciting for me. Um, but yeah, really, really cool uh, opportunity for me to be here. So did you know much about the Seagrove Trophy? Um, to be honest, before not. And um, then, of course, uh, I did a bit of research and was blown away by some of the yep. past winners, you know, Lewis Hamilton, um, uh, yes, wow, the list is endless. Um, but and and also uh, how long it's been on for, you know. Like yeah. uh, I don't remember it was the first time it was awarded, maybe nineteen thirty something. Yeah, nineteen thirty, yeah. and and that was because it's for air speed and land, basically anything crazy. Really, I think that's basically yeah. what it's all about, isn't it? Yeah, what a trophy! The first guy that won it, he basically flew from Ireland to Newfoundland in 30 hours so that was the first east to west crossing of the atlantic by plane i think so and i would say the dakar is probably the kind of modern equivalent of that kind of going into the unknown thing really isn't it because otherwise motorsport is fairly yeah. we're going around racetracks you know it's kind of whereas dakar seems to me the kind of the last sort of bastion of of complete madness yeah it's still uh, it's still very much uh, iron age if you like you know we still use paper road books for our navigation and uh, you'd think it would be digital you know with like a tom tom or a garmin sat on your your screen pointing an arrow but it's unfortunately not like that we have to read uh, your average rally notes but we scroll through them with a toggle switch you know but it's uh yeah, it's certainly um not technology as far as navigation's um concerned and it's uh, you're set off um, in the morning, 3 a.m., and you're on your own all day, and uh, hopefully you arrive back that night to see see your team. You know, um, but yeah, it's, uh, I think that's what's such a big attraction to it. You know, it's still a bit wild and a bit uncontrolled in some ways, and um, you you race uh, for yourself across the desert for hours and hours in in crazy terrains from. 5,000 meters in Bolivia to uh, 45 degrees heat in Argentina desert. And I think that kind of wild side of it is uh, still a, a big attraction for, for the viewers and for the racers, you know. I think the award celebrates what they technically call it, the spirit of adventure. So I think what you are definitely harking back to the, Cam the Campbells, the John Cobbs, rather than the Lewis Hamiltons who are like Matt's, is a little bit, it's a little bit tamer compared to what you do. Uh, I don't know about that if you look at the speeds, but um, certainly the, the adventure side, you know. Um, quite often we don't get to see uh, some of the crazy sites, you know. We pass by active volcanoes or the Sala de Ayuni in uh, Bolivia, the biggest salt flat in the world. Um, you can see it from space, like a big uh, white mirror. And while you're on the bike, you, you're literally looking at your roadbook and the 100 meters in front of you. In, only uh, on the liaison sections, which is uh, after the race or before the race, you know, road sections or link sections where we don't race. Sometimes you like have a look around and you're like, wow, this is this is crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. How, how long are the actual, you say, you, you know, you basically start at dawn and finish at, at dusk kind of thing, pretty much. How long are you actually racing for during that time? How many hours during a day are you actually racing as opposed um, to liaisons or whatever? So 
normally, uh, I mean, as far as distance wise, the longest stage we did in 2017 was 1,250 kilometers in one stage. So if you imagine if you're averaging 100, which we don't because you're going through dunes and technical terrain, um, it would be around 12, 13 hours. Um, wow. So, I mean, that was the longest day, including link sections. But as far as a special stage, if you like actual race, it can be set. The longest stages are seven, seven hours, eight hours. How do you keep your concentration? Because I mean, what, what, you're sort of averaging 100Ks, is that what you said? Uh, it depends. I mean, the, I think one yeah. of the fastest stages we had averaged around 140 something, um, but can I be mean, less. So how do you keep your concentration for six hours you, when you don't really know the road you're just and you're looking at your notes all the time when you yeah you know. that's the thing you know it's it's super heavy to to stay focused during that amount of time it's it's not only that uh that side if you sat out in 45 degrees heat for seven hours doing nothing you'd feel a bit rough by the end of the day and you know we 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 race you know pushing ourselves to the maximum every day i lost i lost uh, seven kilos in 2017 dakar and i'm not a big guy um, and uh, it's heavy. The concentration side is really difficult, you know. Um, you have to, to keep focus and you take whatever you can, you know, I don't know, Red Bull or energy bars or whatever you can to try and keep that energy there because you start fatiguing off as the end, day goes down, you know. It's not that we can stop and have a picnic, you know. We have uh, normally <laughs> one or two refuels throughout the day, which are a mandatory 15-minute stop. Um, but during that time, you're just trying to cram in food and we've got to fill up the bikes uh, fuel. Um, sometimes we have to change the road book. If it's a big road book, it doesn't fit in one in, in, in the road book holder altogether. So that's definitely a hard part of it. You know, you, you, you feel yourself during the longer stages towards the end of them really like, come on, you know, focus. Uh, it's, it's not easy. Sure. So in 2017, you in the last, I don't know, the last stages, are you aware that you're winning, that you're... Yeah, it's a it's a really bizarre feeling, you know. Like the only psychological side of sport is huge, you know. Um, I think for me, is is maybe fifty fifty to physical or talent. It's it's crazy the psychological side. And while you're losing, all you think about is winning. And as soon as you're winning, you you only think about is how not to lose it. You know, you feel yeah. like you've got a, a baby. And um, yeah, in two thousand seventeen, Dakar, I took the lead in stage five. And uh, yeah, I had uh, eight, eight stages where I, I had to try and control the lead and it's much more mentally fatiguing to try and manage a stage rather than just going and I'm all in, you know, you, you kind of all running off adrenaline where, when you're trying to control the stage. Okay, where's this guy? Don't push too much, control the bike, don't make a navigation mistake, don't ride in the dust, you know, pay attention to this. and is uh it was heavy really heavy you know in the, in the night time you can speak to the team and they can reassure you no no you're doing good just keep on you on what you're doing everything's well um the problem is you're on the bike for 11 12 hours alone and your brain just goes no radio not easy how much research do you do on the notes so everybody gets the same road book um when we arrive to the bivouac 4 or 5 p.m and uh, so, but so f from four or five p.m., um, we start to paint our road books. We paint, I say paint. We color them in, you know, right, with uh, right. diff our different color system. Yeah. I use uh, pink for dangers, green for direction change, 
orange for waypoints. Everybody has a different color system, but it can take three or four hours of uh, marking. Um, it's a big, big uh, scroll of road like a toilet plate, roll a yeah, toilet plate. Yeah, exactly. And, and then once we finish painting that, um, we have to prepare all the, the rest of the things for the next day, the hydration, the food, the jacket, um, blah, blah, blah. And normally we have a briefing with a, a map man. Every team, every top team has a map man. And he kind of plots out the route on Google Earth and kind of shows us a bit of terrain. But it's, it's can, the, the longest stage can be six, seven hundred kilometers. It's like going from here to Scotland. You 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 off road. Yeah. So you remember about this much. Um, sometimes when you're in the sedge, you're like, that was the amount. Oh no no maybe it was that. You know it's so vast. It's so so vast. You know the the Argentinian desert. You cannot imagine. You feel like a needle in a haystack. It's it's crazy. Uh, the the terrains. And so easy to make a mistake because, like you say, especially when you're leading and you're you're protecting rather than attacking. Yeah. Really difficult. You know, you're on the dirt, you don't really know where you're going, you're doing 140Ks, you know, sort of 90 miles an hour on a dirt road. Um, I mean, how, 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 how much time do you spend with other riders? Um, I mean, obviously, if you're behind somebody and he's kicking up dust, that's yeah, not good, is it? Yeah, it's really difficult. Um, we set off three minutes in intervals. Uh, so the first guy sets off three minutes after is the second guy. So you have a bit of a gap, but if, uh, if there's a difficult uh, area and people get lost, quite often you end up bunching together because the first guy gets lost, he comes back, finds the right way. And as the second guy arrives, he's like, oh, well, he's obviously lost. I'm not gonna go where he's gone. And kind of uh, when, you, when you group up, it's really, can be really dangerous in the dust. Um, those are the times where, you know, it's so easy, like as a red-blooded man, you wanna, come on, I'm, I'm racing. But imagine you've got 14 days, 12 hours a day on the bike and you can rush in the dust for 30 seconds and have a miss a rock, miss a hole, miss a corner. Um, those are the times where you have to try and like, okay, relax, now is not the time. Just uh, take it easy, find the way. But it's so easy to sit here and talk to you guys about it. But when you're racing, you know, to try and win, you, you're literally, we push to the maximum all day as hard as we can. Um, to kind of switch off and on from that uh, adrenaline is really one of the hardest parts to control, I think. Then you mentioned about holes, and last year, or this year, sorry. Yeah. Had a, just a unfortunate hole that you just hit. Yeah, so um, really disappointing. You know, this year I started off well. I won stage one, and then I won stage three. Um, feeling really good, calm, not not with pressure or stress. I was I was feeling really well coming into the Dakar, and um, yeah, we was uh, day four. It was a mass start day, so everybody set off together like a motocross start style, which always adds to a bit of the chaos. Um, but uh, it was all going okay. We was in June, so there wasn't a lot of dust. The sand doesn't create dust, you know, it just goes up and down. So that wasn't a, a, an issue, um, and it was quite late into the stage. Um, and uh, I was in the front, the front group, and there were there, there was a bit of a confusing area. And for me, there was a waypoint on top of these dunes that we needed to climb. And um, <clears throat> six or seven other riders kept trying to climb. Also, these dunes. I was like, ah, oh, they've put this waypoint in the top of them dunes. You know, that's because when we're in open desert, you know, there's not a four by four track to follow. We have to follow a compass heading. So come from zero to three hundred. You know, and um, and for me. The, the correct uh, uh, cap heading was up into the big dunes. 
and we were, they were super soft and we were trying to climb them, trying to climb them and I was like, oh, I can't believe they've put the waypoint up here. And I came around in the bottom on a bit of a flat area and I had a bit of a run like to, to carry some speed to climb. And um, I can only explain it as like, you've been skiing before and you get like snow blind. Like sometimes you're coming down and you, you're like, whoa, what was that? You know, you don't see because it's all white. Well, it's the same in the dunes when the sun's high, it's all kind of yellowy white color. And um, I just missed a, a pocket, like a little, uh, it was quite uh, deep um, with square edges. And, and I, I wasn't prepared for it at all. And I was looking up the dune like with some speed to, to climb and the bike just had a big, big compression and I wasn't strong, you know, I didn't expect it. And um, yeah, I ended up squashing two of the discs in my lower back um, and I felt the pain directly and I was like, oh, I didn't even crash. I didn't fall off. It was just a big, huge compression and, you know, my speed carried me on. And um, anyway, I tried to continue and um, after getting the waypoint and uh, the pain was coming more and more and I was like, okay, no worries, I'll be okay. I'll, I'll arrive to the end, I'll see the guys, uh, can make some checks after the stage. And um, I started losing the feeling in my legs. Um, I started, first it started with my toes and my feet and my ankles and then my knees. And then it was, I couldn't feel nothing, you know? And I was like, wow, this is really strange. And I, I thought like pins and needles at first and coming worse. And um, it comes to the point I couldn't change gear or, or brake uh, with my feet and I didn't, and I couldn't put my legs out in the corner and I was like, wow, I'm gonna have to stop. Like I'll just stop and I'll check. Like what was the problem? I had pain in my back, but I was thinking maybe, you know, I've pinched a nerve, I'm sure it'll be okay. But then when I stopped, I, I really realized how bad it was because while you're on the bike, you, you know, you're fighting and you've got an adrenal, adrenaline rush. And when I stopped, I was like, wow, I can't, I can't move my legs. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even pull my leg off the bike. And well, it was really scary, uh, scary feeling. You know, I've got some, some paralyzed friends, unfortunately. And yeah, it was all kinds of things started rushing through my head. And I, I was really in pain, but also really scared, really afraid. And luckily, yeah, unfortunately I was out of the race. I, I, had, I couldn't continue. Um, I couldn't move my legs. And uh, yeah, the, Anyway, helicopter arrived um, after some time and off to the hospital and um, yeah, luckily after a few hours it come back after I was led flat and some medication for anti-inflammatory and I don't know what they give me but anyway, it come back luckily and uh, yeah, I'm thankful for that because I was really for a moment was really scary um, but yeah, it sucks. I was. I had a six-minute lead at the time, and uh, the race was going perfect as as I had planned. Um, but that's the that's the nature yeah, of racing. It shows how narrow that line is, isn't it? Just you didn't like you say you didn't even crash. You just, yeah, uh, yeah, you know. exactly. And, and you have a sort of safety button now where you basically it triggers a transponder. Or, well, obviously you've got a transponder that's there all the time, is it? Is yeah, so we've got... Um, basically a sort of SOS kind of thing. Yeah, so we, we're tracked all the time. I think it's from Paris, um, actually, that rather than in the desert, um, we've got an eerie track. So if the, if the bike has a big impact, it directly sends a safety signal um, okay, or, well. or you have a red button to push, which is like an emergency button. But luckily, if you're in the front of the race, normally the media helicopters are close anyway. So they they know what's going on you know um, and luckily they within five minutes there was a helicopter there and uh, it was it was more or less okay why, why don't you have um uh digital uh mapping or whatever why, why do you still have the, the, the scroll Is i that don't just a, i don't of, they want to keep it 
I, I don't think it's like uh, to keep tradition or, or, or something. I think genuinely it's just the, the best system because we, we often have to add modifications in the last minute, you know, where we have to write on pen on the, on the rally notes. I mean, even in WRC, I'm sure they still use, I mean, I know they still use paper, paper, paper notes and um, you'd think it would get destroyed, you know? You're mm. in these crazy conditions with snow or with rain or with, with the heat and dust, but it's in a, you know, a little roadbook holder and does its job. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, and the fact that also everyone has their own marking system, that they want things to stand out like a danger, like a change of direction or a waypoint. Um, and I don't know, just never, it's been talk about, talked about before, a digital one, but it's never, Never happened. Yeah, sure. Um, it's kind sense. of a nice little balance, isn't it, that Dakar has, where you've got that kind of old technology that just works. Yeah. And then you've got technology that makes you all a lot safer and a lot, because back in the day you wouldn't have had a button, you wouldn't have, you'd have been waiting. Yeah, exactly. That, that yeah. Danger, has that danger now effectively gone, where you are your own? Yeah, I think it's a lot safer now, um, especially, especially for the organisers logistically. You know, when it was in uh, Africa, yeah. They were in the middle of Mauritania and, and these, uh, I think it was a different race then. It was definitely crazy and, you know, it's how it started, people getting lost in the desert, you know, and um, it's a completely different race now. It's, it's much faster. Um, a lot of young guys uh, coming in <laughs> trying to, you know, crazy, going fast. Um, but also logistically, everything advances, you know, and... Um, now it's more it's more like uh, 14 one day races right. as opposed to a long uh, set off and you arrive it, it, i think a lot of the the new guys coming into it because we have a lot of ex world champions from enduro or motocross yeah. coming into it and I, the, the biggest surprise for them is how fast it is because it's still seen as this adventure race across the desert but <laughs> I promise you, it's uh, really, really fast. Everybody's on the limit all day, you know. It's uh, really, really, really fast. So are you one of the young guys still, or are you know one of yeah, the old Yeah, I'm getting there. 29 the other day, dude, 15th of April. Um, but yeah, I'm still uh, luckily one of the, the younger guys. Um, I started early, you know. My first rally was 2011, and I was 21, um, which is early in rally, in uh, cross-country rally. So yeah, I'm still, uh, there's, a f there's a few guys younger than me, but the... Most of the top guys are, are still older than me, so. It, what did the sort of adventure aspect, rather than going going into enduro or motocross or whatever, did the adventure aspect was that one of the attractions to you of, of doing something really, rather than just whizzing around in circles all day? Actually, you for know. me, for me, I, uh, my passion is motocross. I grew up racing motocross and it was, it's, I love it now. I don't know if you follow my Instagram. I, I love still ride a lot of motocross. I love going in the desert and hitting big gaps in the dunes. And I still love motocross. It's like my big passion. Um, and on the other side, when I moved to Dubai in 2009 is when I discovered like free ride in, in the open desert and the adventure kind of style of things um, and the freedom. I think, every, I think everybody starts off the passion of riding a motorbike is, is freedom. You know, you start when you get your first bicycle, when you're a kid, you're riding up the road like, yeah, I can go where I want, you know? Yeah. And I think it's the same feeling that crosses over when you're an adult. And um, I, I still, yeah, it's crazy. Every, every race we go to you, is a big adventure and you know, there's no way you can race your bike for 14 days, for 12 hours a day in these terrains and not have something crazy happen. It just does, there's no way you can do it. And uh, I think that 
unknown and that adventure kind of uh, thing that's there, I think is super exciting, yeah. How do you, how do you kind of go from Southampton to winning the Dakar? How yeah. Does, uh, circuit racing, there's an <laughs> obvious path that you follow, but it's, you think you've gone from live, growing up in Southampton to then winning the Dakar. Yeah, I think moving to the Middle East, I moved to Dubai in 2009, had a big uh, impact on that. Like I said, I was still racing motocross at the time, which is still like a huge passion of mine. Um, and then when I moved to Dubai, it was like, everyone was like, oh, we're going on a desert ride. I'm like, what's a desert ride? You know, I just pictured guys with like uh, camel, big camel packs and bum bags. And I was like, I, I thought it was a bit lame at the time, you know? And uh, when I went out there, I was like, wow, this is crazy. We can go where you want. Yeah. Like you can literally go where you want. There's no, there's no guidelines, there's no fences. There's a, go where you want. You're like, what do you, I, I'm free, you know? And, and that feeling is uh, still, still something I love. When you arrive to the desert, you've got your bike and there's just a thousand dunes and go ride where you want. It's, it's a crazy good, good, good feeling and I still have that now. In, in, in the Dakar, how much of it is like tracks and how much of it is kind of full, just in the middle of nowhere off road? <laughs> um, so this last Dakar, 2018, um, was much, so we call it off-piste. So piste or off-piste, because rally is French. Um, and off-piste is, yeah, open desert, off-track, is uh, completely dunes. You know, there's not a four by four track or, or any trusses in the ground, it's clean desert. Um, and this Dakar 2018 was a lot more off-piste. Um, obviously starting in Peru, is a lot of dunes in Peru and uh, it was a lot of off-piste uh, off -piece navigation, uh, racing and I like that. I like that style of, uh, you, you can use your, so when you're, when you're on piste, you, you break as late as you can, you get the apex of the turn the same as you would. I mean, it's all new to us, 100% of the time it's new terrain but you, you have to read it as you go and, and carry as much speed as you can. I love that side, but my favorite part is, is riding in open desert, you know, to read the terrain, read the desert. Okay, here looks like a cleaner line. Uh, maybe there's a pocket on this side and you can, you can play a lot more and, and manage uh, where you want to go more. You, there's a lot more freedom than, than on a, a piste, you know. So have you been on track much? Have you ever, ever um, so I did a that. bit of a bit of supermoto stuff, uh, a little bit, and then I I actually went on track uh, last year was my first time, um, and it was really really cool. I I was scared really. I was scared because of uh, you know what scared me most was the other riders because obviously I was in the amateur group at first. Like off you go, you know. I was I don't never done it before, and the gearbox was reversed. So the first corner I went ah boo <laughs> whoa, you know yeah. you know with the gearbox back yeah, to yeah, front. Yeah. Uh, that was a bit of experience. I had a few of down the main straight as well. Like I was, you know, banged <laughs> yeah, yeah. it the wrong way. And oh no, it, it was it was bizarre. The first session I spent every corner going the wrong way. And then, no, oh, no, no, it's this way. And like, it was a big block in my yeah, head. Yeah, and, and then after that, it was, uh, it was coming better and better. And I actually got my knee down. I remember the first time I did that, I, I did it and then sat the bike up halfway through the turn because I was so afraid. But um, it was a really cool experience. But I think it is, uh, is completely different from what I do or even from motocross on a track because um, I think it's a lot more about accuracy. Be, you, 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 cannot, you cannot vary from the race line, you cannot vary too much from the breaking point, you know, is hitting the same lines lap after lap after lap. Whereas in motocross or certainly in desert racing, you can, you can change your line, you can move the bike, you can come, you know, if, the, if it is a right corner coming up, 
on a circuit, there's no way you'd be on the right side of the track. You'd be on the left for the apex, but in motocross, if that line's rough, you can come, you know, you can play a lot more. Um, but yeah, uh, I enjoy it for other reasons, you know? I, I, I have a passion for everything, racing or with an engine or with wheels, you know, I just, I always have since a kid. And I said, saying before, I did a car race the other day with um, PH Sport uh, in a Peugeot 308. And, that was my first car race and it was it was the same it was wild and i just you know I, I really enjoyed it and just wanted to go as fast as i could and you know i, I get got in a bit of trouble with some other guys i think touching too much but um yeah it was super fun really really cool you think um do ktm kind of offer you goes on their they should give you a go on their motor gp bike shouldn't they yeah i have to win a few more dakars <laughs> before i put that request in maybe but um yeah, I think it's still in the early early part for them as well. You know, the team going into MotoGP was a huge uh, commitment, and of course, is uh, is not easy. You know, these teams have been there at the top of the pinnacle of MotoGP for so long, and to try and uh, compete with them, I think is heavy. But I think they're getting closer, and hopefully, you know, the more track time and data they it's, get, it's an amazing little company really isn't it because I think Pit Beer the boss told us that they've got like 72 factory riders because yeah. you know they're sort of um, motocross enduro supercross Dakar Moto3 yeah, yeah. Moto2 yeah. MotoGP I mean there's yeah. no other motorbike company like that really is there? <laughs> yeah they're, they're really passionate about racing and I think it I think it works um, their whole image of of the bikes and everything is about about performance and about race you know and I think they they push on the race side and then the developments we make with the bikes ultimately end up with the customer you know like our Dakar bike our factory Dakar bike and the bike that the customer can buy there's not so much difference really there's a there's a few details of the engine and a few details of the suspension but 99.9 percent is the same bike and I think that's that's something that's cool and yeah it's the same as any motorsport eventually things pass down to the consumer um, but in off-road sport it's much faster you know um, but I, I think it's cool, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a company that have a lot of passion for racing and uh, certainly with Red Bull on board with, with all of their motorsports projects, it helps. Um, but yeah, I'm super grateful to be part of such a, a team that want to win, you know. So, so what's next for you? I guess you look at kind of the four-wheeled version of the Dakar and you've got Carlos Sainz who's in his 50s. Careers for, on the two wheels must be a little bit shorter because it's more physical and there's a lot more... So yeah, where, where I've got a go? bad finger at the minute. Hey. <laughs> um, yeah, it's certainly true. Uh, like Cyril Dupre or, or Peter Hans, all these guys went from bikes to cars. Um, but I think it was a bit of a different era, you know. Um, certainly Peter Hans and, and Cyril Dupre. Um, now, back then, there was maybe two or three guys that were on a professional level that, that they had com competition with, you know, and for many years, for 11 years, I think it was between Cyril Dupre and Mark Comer. They won. Only two guys won for 11 years. Now, it's, uh, in the last three years, it's been three different winners. Um, there's so many guys that are on a professional level that work for, for, to win the Dakar every day of their life. For me now, there's 10, 11 guys that can win. Um, but that's the ultimate goal to go from, uh, yeah, from two wheel to four wheel, you know, and but it's not easy, you know, the car teams, uh, I think the car teams, a lot of them would prefer to take a guy from WRC that they know that can drive and then make, to, to get him to learn to read the, t the, the terrain rather than a bike guy to learn to drive a car. I think it's a, a, 
closer link. But no, it's, um, I think it's why we try and get into cars now. Like I did a, a car race last week. Uh, my friend Toby Price does a lot of uh, car racing, some buggy stuff in America um, to try and make that step early to get a bit of experience. In, um, but yeah, it's the, it's the goal, of course, to, to one day race a car. On the Dakar as well. Because maybe, you're maybe halfway through your career if you look at Carlos Sainz. Yeah, yeah, now I'm 20, I was 29 a few, few days ago. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm still young. Um, I was lucky to get into rally early and to, to win the Dakar at 27 years old. Um, it was, uh, I think I was more or less close to the youngest guy. Peter Hansel, I think, was also 27 when he won. Um, so yeah, I've still got maybe six, seven, eight years, uh, see how the body goes. <laughs> you must have to uh, train incredibly hard, because I mean, just for those, but in, I mean, I suppose in a fairly particular way, because you need to be strong, but not kind of, you need stamina as much yeah, as strength, exactly. don't you? Yeah, exactly. You, I, 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 it's, it's professional, it's turned into a professional sport, you know. Um, I spend every day training uh, fitness, a lot of time on the bicycle, a lot of time running or swimming. Um, but I can't, I can't do uh, many weights. If I do weights, I, I have problems with the arm pump, um, which is the reason I, yeah, um, had some surgeries for that before. Um, so it's, it's a specific training. Um, it's not that I go and ride 10,000 kilometers, which the Dakar is, you know, it's like if a marathon runner, they don't really run marathons every day of the week because you physically cannot. Um, so you have to manage um, manage it well. Um, we're lucky we've got a good team around us. Red Bull have a fitness facility in Austria where they, they guide us pretty well with um, with the fitness side of things. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'm living my dream, but it's a full-time job. I, I wake up every day and I have a plan to train, to ride, to do this or do that. And yeah, it's, it's really cool. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like we have completely run out of time. Uh, um, you've got a very busy day of interviews and jacket trying on again. Yeah, I'm super lunch. pumped. I've got a new um, jacket somewhere. It's, <laughs> it's cool. I don't have many of them. So. No. <laughs> and you've got this giant trophy as wow. well. Yeah, uh, yeah. And your name added to it. I'm sure Matt, you'll agree it's a good choice by the committee to... Yeah, fantastic. I think you've, you've um, you know, you perfectly sum up the spirit of adventure. You know, there's just no more adventurous thing to do in motorsport than, than what you did. So I think, um, and it's great to have a, a, another motorcycle winner, you know. Yeah, for sure. Thank you very much. It's uh, super cool. That's a big guy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. think I'll take it Yeah, I'm not taking that one in the suitcase <laughs> yeah. going back home. So uh, congratulations, yeah. Russell. Um, thank you very much. Thanks for sparing yeah. half an hour with us today. No thanks, worries. Matt. Uh, thank Great. you, Alan, thank you. on thank your you. birthday. Thanks. Well done for eating all the caterpillar cake. Um, <laughs> and we'll be back very shortly, I think, with, with Jackie X later this week. Um, and then Derek Bell maybe two weeks later. So we've got a busy week of, or busy month of podcasts. Um, so we'll see you then. Thanks again, guys. Thank you.